the State of the Church Address. Um, so basically, two weeks ago, I sent out an email that was the initial letter that I sent to the church. Um, basically, I was living in Knoxville. Felt like God may be moving us to plant a church in Heflin, in Cleveland County. Basically, didn't know, somewhere in Cleveland County. And so I sent a letter to folks who I knew were estranged from church, but still seeking God and trying to get, you know, figure life out uh, through the lens of the kingdom. Um, I sent that email out two weeks ago, so surely most of you would have gotten that. If you didn't, I can send that to you. Um, but in it, I spelled out a lot of the things that I hoped we did do and a lot of things I hope we didn't do. And we're going to talk about those today, the, the things I hope we have done and the things I hope we didn't become. Um, and I hope that this is a dialogical conversation. This is hopefully not going to be a monologue and that I'm the one speaking and you're the ones listening. Uh, I'm going to give some space after each one of these practices for us to, to talk about what we've seen. Um, once again, I, I don't want to do vision casting as much as I want to make sure that we are staying true to what it means to be the church. Um, so when we started... We said that we'd build the church around seven particular specific things. Um, the Lord's table, which includes communion and eating together, which we do at every gathering. So if that's this gathering or a house gathering, we eat together. We'll talk about why. The second thing was reconciliation. And how many of you know to be reconciled requires a particular thing? Do you know what being reconciled requires first conflict so for us to have a culture of reconciliation we first have to have a culture of conflict my hope was that we would live close enough lives together to get on each other's nerves we're getting there some of you know that i've already been there on your nerves um proclaiming the gospel We'll talk about that, but that was one of the things we were going to make sure that what we did in our life and in our speech was proclaim the gospel. Joining ourselves to the least of these, whether that's um, the foreigner or the poor or the widow or the orphan. Being with children, um, which we'll talk about more. Mutuality, um, which is... Basically, that there is not a hierarchical structure, that if you are a leader here, that doesn't mean you have power. That means you have the responsibility to serve more people. Um, and then the one holding them all together is we were going to build ourselves around prayer. So I am convinced that the body of Christ is the hope of the world. That without a people to observe, we would never become what we were supposed to be. So what I mean by that is stereotyping is inevitable. You know what stereotyping is? We are naturally going to judge entire people based on the decision of the majority or the loudest person in a group, okay? Stereotyping is just the perversion of witness. What I mean by that is the church was supposed to be this big body of people who were visible to the world, proclaiming a message so that the whole world could judge Jesus by the actions of these people. It was a reverse version of stereotyping, okay? 
Um, stereotyping is going to be a natural phenomenon in any social environment, and what was supposed to happen is we were supposed to be a people who had these universal characteristics in every country across time to show people what it meant to be human. Um, so one of the first things I want to talk about is how we have been with our children, because one, one of our core things is being with children. I wanted to make sure that we had a church that did not function as if children did not exist. There is a move amongst churches to function as if children do not exist. Do you know how you can do that? You can ignore them. Or you can have somebody at the front door as soon as they come in. Sign them in. Send them off to this space that you can't hear them. And they can come back with a number and come pick them up later. You could literally come to church and never know there was a child amongst you. And that is the opposite of the kingdom of God, which I hope will always be the opposite of here. Did y'all know there were children here today? Now, where we can improve is this, not ignoring or putting up with the children. The practice of being with the children is more than just the children being amongst us. It is us choosing to acknowledge them, to look them in the eye, to say, although you can't contribute, you're still valuable because that is the message of the gospel. Okay? So one of the ways we're moving into doing that um, with our groups is we are providing every house that has children with a table for the children to eat at. Because how many of you guys know children aren't Christians? They just ain't, all right? It is unwise of us to treat them as if they are. It's going to frustrate you. So rather than teaching them as if they are rebellious Christians, because they're not, most of them didn't choose even to be born to you, much less to this particular idea that you ascribe to. So the best way to get them to follow Jesus is to show them a Jesus worth following. So how do we do that? What is... A Jesus worth following. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who has power, who surrenders his power to come as a servant. So what we're doing moving into the new year is if there are children in your house on Wednesday nights, there has to be at least one adult eating at the table with the children. There has to be an adult other than their parents fixing their plates. Because if they can see someone with power, surrendering their power for the sake of service, they will see Jesus. All right? That's one of the ways we're moving into that. I would encourage you on Sundays to quench your hunger a minute as an adult and say, there's a mama here. This is hypothetical. It's not, but I'm acting like it is. There's a mama here with four children whose husband is on call. Those four children are hungry. At mealtime, as an adult, I should not be the first person to grab a plate if those babies hadn't ate yet. Because if those children can see someone with power, surrendering their power for the sake of the vulnerable, they will see Jesus. And that's what we're going to do to be with children, at least in how we gather on Sundays and how we gather at our homes. Amen.
Anybody want to share anything about how we have been with children or your experience with children at the church before we wrap up this portion? Yeah, well, Jasmine's can. Mine, mine don't drink coffee. <laughs> Zach? Um, I want to say thank you for, so our hope was that um, we would have plenty of folks to serve our children on Sundays, and so basically the way we have it set up is everybody in the church serves the children, and we do it on a rotation, and so many folks signed up where we only, I'm only in there now three weeks next year, which means we have that many folks to rotate, and obviously we may have some sicknesses and whatever, but um, that's pretty impressive that the whole church has stepped up to serve the children um there were several reasons for that we wanted our children to know everybody in the church we wanted everybody in the church to know our children um but jesus said that he would be there he said if you'll look into their eyes if you'll look hard enough you'll see me um I would say more formation will happen by you serving the children than by you listening to the sermon on Sundays. I would say more formation has happened because of other things we do with this church than what happens during sermons on Sundays. So we're about to deprioritize sermons (laughs) because they cost a lot of time and don't produce a lot of results. (laughs) But we're not there yet. Reconciliation. So our hope was to share enough life together to begin getting on each other's nerves. Once again, the scripture that Jesus said, he said, if you come to the, to the altar and realize that your brother has something against you, don't offer me your gift. Leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled to your brother. Well, for the most part, we have not known the people we go to church with. All right, so there would be no reason to have anything against them because when you see them, you have your best on, literally your best clothes, your best presentation, your kids are not with you, right, just to play out the whole scenario. Um, and basically, you're just offering this faux version of yourself. My hope has been, and I've seen this because I've had these conversations with several folks already, that we are living in close enough proximity to one another to actually see each other. And in seeing each other, we disagree And in disagreeing, rather than leading towards the things that we used to lead towards, which is cowardice, gossip, and malice, we do what Jesus said in Matthew 18, which is, if your brother sins against you, go to him alone and be reconciled. 
And I've seen that begin to happen. I personally have had three of those conversations because I am a provoker of people, obviously. Okay? Um, so, uh, it is unfortunate that most of the reason churches are planted is because somebody got pissed off and didn't have the courage to reconcile. This is why we have a lot of churches. Thankfully, this is not why we have this one. Now, I will say this. If you left somewhere because you got pissed off and didn't have the courage to reconcile, don't come back here. Ever. All right. Um, one of the things about uh, reconciliation is we don't get to choose who we go to church with. Wouldn't that be nice? One of the most devastating things that can happen to the natural environment is a process called homogenization. John knows about homogenization. So one of the most devastating things that can happen to the natural environment. If you uh, wipe, say we burn all this stuff right here and go back and plant the proliferating pine tree. Guess what we've now done to this environment? We've homogenized it, but we've also made it something. Susceptible to disease. Because now if one tree gets it, guess who I was getting it? Every tree. Now here's the thing that God has called us to. One of the distinguishing features of the church is that we were supposed to be a people who were different in age, in sex, in economic status, in color, and in interest. Because if we can be those things we reduce our susceptibilities. If we're all white, middle class, whatever you call it, driving, whatever you call it, toting people, then when something sweeps through the community that's an ideological warfare or some kind of stress, guess what happens to a whole bunch? We're all taken out because that's who we all were. The goal is not for us to come here and all to become this one carbon copy of each other. The goal is for us to come here in all of our difference. Republican, Democrat, don't vote. Did I just tell myself? Yeah, I did. Non-voter. Um, all of us who have these crazy ideologies can come together and say, Jesus is Lord. I don't like what that joker does, but Jesus is Lord and they say it and somehow we got to get along. And you'd be amazed because I talked to y'all how many differences there are in this room. I won't start exposing them because I don't think we're ready yet to hear that. Anybody got any thoughts on reconciliation? I said something harsh earlier and I'm willing to have some pushback. So any thoughts on reconciliation? No doubt. 100%. But here's the thing. How many of y'all know if you're with humans, it's impossible not to have a quarrel? Impossible. Unless you fake, mask, and gossip. Then everything can be fine. The difference is we don't know how to confront in peace. 
And the, the message of the gospel is, Jesus said, if your brother has sinned against you, go to your brother and tell them. Not, if you've sinned against your brother, go ask for forgiveness. If you have perceived that you've been sinned against, you take the initiative to go and confront your brother. That's big. That's vulnerable. The first time this ever happened to me was at a church in, when I was at a church in Knoxville. Before, so the way they did the service, they had a section called Passing the Peace, where they said, basically, if you have strife against somebody in this room, leave and don't come back until you have made peace. Every Sunday. So one Sunday, I'm going around about to pass some peace with folks because I think I'm fine. And this couple, Emily and Cameron, pull me aside and they say, hey, can we go talk to you upstairs? And I thought, I know what this is because this is what happens here on Sundays, right? And so I go up and Emily, they sit me down and Emily just kneels down in front of me and starts crying to me about something I did that I didn't even realize I did, but I did. And we stayed there for probably 25 minutes and reconciled and made peace and went back and caught the tail end of the sermon. And the beautiful thing was, I didn't go through worship, worshiping that day, and then go through worship, worshiping that day, and then them, them leave later that day, go home and lay on their pillows at night and talk about how sorry I was. Because that's what we do. We're going to deal with it. So to Lana's point, God de definitely doesn't want us fighting, but people doing life together will have disagreements. And conflict is not malice. Peacemaking is not quarreling. Um, because when I approach someone who I think has sinned against me, I'm approaching them not as the forgiver, but as the forgiven. I'm reminded, too, that I fail. I will say, if you've ever been in an environment where there is not an active process of reconciliation, you have been in an environment where, and I'm going to quote Dr. Jacqueline Patio here, where if you're not around the table, you're on the table. She said, Cody, you don't want to be with them people. That when you ain't around the table, you own it. I said, yes, ma'am, you're right. Because what is more a contributor to war than confrontation is backbiting. If you have been a backbiter, you are worse than one who slaps in the face. I just made it up. But that's what the Proverbs say. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no tailbearer, contention ceases. If you're more willing to gossip than you are confront, you are a problem. And I'd love to talk to you one-on-one. -on -one. Hallelujah. Any more thoughts on reconciliation? This is the hardest one because we don't, as a culture, we don't know how to do it. We know how to divide, build fences, and buy guns. I'm serious. That's what we know how to do. We don't know how to talk because it's going to require surrender from both parties. To be human is to have differences. 
To be human wholesomely is to process those differences, not by building up conflicting power claims, but by reconciling dialogue. That's John Howard Yoder. How can we be with the poor or the least of these? Um, one of our core statements is that the poor are not a problem to be solved. They are a people to join. I was talking to Jennifer this week about whether or not we should do a project with our children, uh, like a community service project. And I said, I don't like community service projects because they typically cleanse the conscience but don't go past the surface of building relationship. I think they can be helpful. But what really goes a long way is when we join ourselves to the poor. When their burden is not just something we temporarily relieve, but something we carry for a lifetime. Anytime I encounter someone who is helping someone who is substance addicted, they say, do you think I should help? I say, do you have time for the next 40 years? Because if you don't, I wouldn't sign up. Well, that sounds great, right? We cut our projects out. But what we have tried to do is, so Philip and Jennifer found a couple who was living homeless, and they had some space, some margin in their life to actually help. And so the church became uh, the financial covering for them. So when they needed to go buy gas, when they needed to buy hotels, when they needed to buy groceries, the church was the one sponsoring that so that they didn't have to carry that burden alone. They had the time to carry it, and the church was providing the resources. So when I say join ourselves to the poor, it's those scenarios that if you bring in someone into your home, April Brown, who works for Ryan, has brought in several children into her house. And so what we've done is say, April, as long as you have these children in your house, we are paying your power bill. And I think y'all's group wound up helping her with Christmas. I don't know what all y'all did, but a lot. Uh, carrying that with April. Um, so that is our hope, is that we can find folks in the congregation who have a little more space and say, don't write this check yourself. You're already given to the church. The church has a mutual fund. Let's just, if you got the time to be with them, we'll cover the headache of finance. Any questions there? Dale came to me with a need several months ago, somebody he spends life with who got in a bad financial position. Um, and because Dale already had that connection to this person, we just funneled that money through Dale to help this, this woman out. And it's somebody he knows and is sharing life with. And it's not that we will not help somebody that we meet on the street, because Lord knows we will. But the hope is that we join ourselves to those who are hurting and not just treat those who are hurting as a project. That is an area I would love to see us move more into. Um, John Chrysostom, who was one of the early church fathers, said, and this is a quote that we can't necessarily take all, but I want to share with you because he'll push us. He said, um, every Christian should have an open bed in their home for Jesus Christ to sleep in, in the guise of the stranger or the foreigner. I'll explain that. He said, every Christian 
Now, I'll add to that that every Christian who is capable should have a bedroom that is set aside for Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ there being the stranger, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner. I would love to see us do a better job of that, um, but we got a long way to go. Anybody got any thoughts on that? Nobody? Any thoughts, good or bad? John told me earlier he wasn't mad. He just had a family get together to go to, so y'all don't worry about that. <laughs> we'll continue on then. Uh, prayer. We know that God has called us to do what we can't unless we pray. We know that our maturation begins when our prayer is no longer fueled by crisis. But when we pray just because it is a new day, um, I would encourage you, uh, at my house on Friday mornings at 6.30, we open the house up for basically anybody in the area to come to pray. Um, at most, there's four of us, but I would love to see anybody else who is in that area. If you are not in that area and could open your home up, um, I, there's something powerful about corporate prayer. Um, we go through a guided prayer every Friday morning at 6.30, but basically we take the requests that Melissa takes down, we pray through those, we take the requests from our Wednesday night and pray through those, and then pray through the Psalms and the Gospel for the day. Um, but we do that every Friday at 6.30. I would love to see there being some more pockets of that amongst us, um, where we're uh, just daily, or at least weekly, gathering to pray together. Um, even in our personal life, we'd love to see that we prioritized daily prayer, even if that were just for 15 to 20 minutes, um, because it is important that we see what God has called us to. It is beyond what we can do unless we pray. Now, if we are able to accomplish our life without prayer, we are selling ourselves short of what God has called us to. Um, the Lord's table, so the communion or the Eucharist, the good gift, we gather around the body and blood every week. This is the focal point of our gathering for a reason. It's the reason um, that we don't have the communion elements sitting over here and then the band come and takes over. This is what we have gathered around every week. If you'll see, um, we're all sort of facing one another. That all operates under this principle of mutuality, that there is not uh, a hierarchical order here um, so the hope is that if you are one of those people who is deemed a leader it just means that you had a little more margin for some more responsibility um, I would say that most people in our church should not want to be leaders because it is a lot of responsibility now if you got some space for some responsibility we do need more leaders but um, just know that that's what it is it doesn't come with a check this comes with a lot of burdens um, that's how a, that's our sales pitch for more leaders Yes. 
Um, we eat together every time we gather. That is a hassle. We don't use paper plates. That is a hassle. Um, we don't order pizza. People have to cook. That is a hassle. Why do we do this? The last thing I wanted us to do is gather as a church, open up our Bibles, and read about how people were gathering together, breaking bread, and praying together. What I wanted us to do is just gather together, break bread, and pray together. So, there is this impulse that we will have to fight against that says, Cody, why are we not doing Bible studies? Why are we not like... When we gathered together during the week, it cost us more time to wash these dishes and cook these meals. We could be having Bible study. Yes. And what you'd be reading about is the people who washed meals together, cooked food together, ate together, prayed together. So why don't we just do it? Hallelujah. Now, does that mean we're not going to devote ourselves to teaching? No. As you know, if you've been here, Sunday mornings are usually half college credit um i mean it's it's more dense than i think they should be most of the time uh what we've been doing during the week going through these books some of you've read more books this past year because of wednesday than you've read in 10 years um so rusty right um so there is content around and i think we need content but more than anything we need to see the slow power of providing a meal, eating together, and cleaning up together. There's some good talks that goes on in the kitchen. Um, it means a lot, you know, for us to have church here. We are like a 50 to 70 person church. And for us to have a get together, 85% of the people have to do something. That is beautiful. Because the old saying used to go that 10% of the people do 90% of the work. That ain't how it works here. Literally, you look around at who all has sang today, provided a meal, who will clean up and who will take care of the children. Almost everybody here has done something so that we can get together. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is mutuality. This is sharing life. This is where you get to fight a little bit. This is where you get to have reason to um, reconcile. One of the I was thinking about it this morning. One of the hardest conversations I ever had when I was in Knoxville, that made me the maddest. I was hand-washing dishes at Johnny and Lindsay's house. Johnny, who comes down here. And Lindsay said, it's more energy efficient to use the dishwasher. I said, no, it can't be. She said, yeah, it is. I promise. I, I, I read about it. I said, nope, can't be. I got so mad. Because I'm hand-washing these dishes trying to save the world. Trying to save power. And sure enough, she was right. It is more energy efficient to wash dishes in an energy efficient dishwasher, which we had. Um, and that bothered me. But that's the kind of stuff that we get mad about. Did y'all know that? We don't get mad about big stuff. It's that kind of stuff. Who wants to speak to meals together? The hassle of it the slowness of it, and the beauty of it.
Yeah. I remember one day we we made Silas, we made bacon one day, and Silas got like 10 pieces like he does. It was bad. And if you know Silas, you know he's not one to keep his opinions to himself. Yeah. Bacon's good today, Silas. That's because of you. But don't get 10 pieces, right? Somebody else on the beauty of being in each other's homes, eating together, Sunday eating together. That why won't we get paper plates? Those sort of questions. Any of those? May may. We almost named the church the table. That's how much we have valued the meal together. Um, it's just too cool. If we had a cooler pastor, we could call it the table, but I still tuck my shirt in, so until then, we we won't. We'll be grace and peace, Baptist, Episcopal, whatever we are, church. Um. I do want to point out something that mom was saying is one of the things I knew we would be confronting is prioritization. And you've heard me say this a lot, but busyness does not exist. Prioritization exists. And prioritization is basically, it reveals what we worship. And I knew that we'd be confronting prioritization. Um, And just seeing people prioritize meals together, preparing something, sticking around, to me, I'm just seeing people be reformed in, in worship. And I know that doesn't look like uh, this crazy mystical experience with the music loud and the lights low, but that's really the type of formation I've, I've observed in the last year is uh, people reprioritizing life. Um, and it's been beautiful to see it. To Dale's point, uh, the... Uh, I I don't know if it's a pandemic, but at least in our country, the epidemic in our country is loneliness. Uh, 
And so what a gift it is for somebody who can just show up here at least once a week to come and eat with folks. Um, it's a gift for folks who don't otherwise have physical interaction with people. We need it. You need seven healthy touches a day. Nathan needs seven healthy touches a day. Healthy, though. Healthy. <laughs> I'm done here. I'm going to read a few more things. For many of us, the idea of community is tied to a fear of losing what little control we seem to have over the business of our own lives. The true miracle of the church happens when humans let themselves be gathered and when they let their lives be joined into the true community. The fact that this happens time and again in spite of everyone's wish to entrench his or herself behind his or her own four walls and that in all this these persons seek for God's will in unanimity such is the true miracle of the church. All that to say in a nutshell. The fact that none of us want to do it and we keep doing it is a miracle. It means God is at work. Because what we'd rather do is not be vulnerable. What we'd rather do is trust in riches because we got them. What we'd rather do is not make ourselves susceptible to someone else's burdens. What we'd rather do is not answer the phone. What we'd rather do is not cook. What we'd rather do is to go home and watch football. And we don't. We keep sitting around each other. And that's the miracle. For what, though? And that's my final... Uh, this is my final, hopefully, piece of encouragement to us. The world needs an example a lonely world needs an example of people who are in relationship a war-torn world needs an example of a people who choose peace rather than gossip a greedy world needs to be able to observe a people who share instead of compete. An envious world needs to see people who celebrate with those who have accomplished and who mourn with those who are suffering. And a fearful world needs to see people who are bound together by trust. For us to proclaim the gospel that Jesus is Lord, we must live those principles. A people who are bound together by love, in mutuality, in peacemaking, in generosity, and in commitment. And we'd be blown away if we could just keep that engine turning. God has called us to be a people who are set apart from the world for the sake of the world.